1: How's it going everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. My name is Taylor Gibson. Joining me as always from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jesse. Tim, how's it going sir?
0: Uh, it's going good. A little tired, but it's the way she goes.
1: Yeah, it's just the way she goes, eh bud?
0: Yeah, we've been having weird weather in Calgary this week, but it was sunny today so I managed to get out and actually enjoy it.
1: Solid. So today's episode, we are going to be looking at... The 1991 NHL Entry Draft, which was, of course, the Eric Lindros sweepstakes in a segment we like to call Redraft. Now, this is the second edition of Redraft we did. The original one we did was for the 1993 NHL Entry Draft, the Alexander Degg sweepstakes. And I am really happy to know that we get to talk about the 91 draft because I think for hockey fans, this has been a draft that has been talked to death over the past 25 years yeah and well it opens with controversy but once you pull back the covers there's quite a lot going on to in this draft a lot of players who've played more than a thousand games in this draft absolutely and of course there's some teams that turned out better than others and some that didn't but this is why we're here because as we said on redraft we decided to look at an older draft and we decided to put a draft lottery to it and a few fun facts about the NES 1991 draft. This draft was held June 22nd, 1991 in Buffalo, New York, the then home of the Buffalo Sabres, the Buffalo Memorial Auditorium. And also, this is the very first draft for the then-expansion San Jose Sharks. Huh.
0: These expansion drafts are kind of fun, though.
1: I know. It's almost like we should be doing another expansion draft here in a couple of years.
0: Huh. Crazy.
1: Yeah. So, like last time we did the redraft, how are we going to be doing this? We're only going to be looking at the top 10 draft picks. So, how we did the lottery is I, we did a Google random number, and we basically went 10 to 6, we randomized the numbers from there, and then whatever last number came up, we threw it in there. So, then we went from 1 to 5, we randomized it, and we got the draft order. Now, before we go on to actual the actual redraft order, we're going to talk about the 91 actual draft order, because... From 10 to 1, it went the Detroit Red Wings, Hartford Whalers, Minnesota North Stars, Vancouver Canucks, Philadelphia Flyers, Winnipeg Jets, the New York Islanders, the New Jersey Devils via the Toronto Maple Leafs, the San Jose Sharks, and the Quebec Nordiques.
0: Yeah, and there was quite a bit of controversy with that number one pick.
1: Absolutely, and of course the controversy we are speaking of is that the Oshawa Generals' big center Eric Lindros flat out told reporters and told the Quebec Nordiques he was not going to come to Quebec, and he held out for the whole 91-92 season before being traded to the Philadelphia Flyers for a package that included Chris Simon, Ron Hextall, and a young Swede by the name of Peter Forsberg.
0: You know, even though uh, I think Eric Lindros probably had more talent, Peter Forsberg is
1: probably... The better package overall, so I think kind of made it well here. I think so. So, like I said, that was the original draft order from 1991, which means we gotta look at the 1991 redraft order. And we're gonna go, of course, from 10 to 1. So, with a 10th pick, the Minnesota North Stars. They drop eight selections, drafting ninth, staying at nine, the Hartford Whalers. Drafting eighth overall, dropping three selections from number five to number eight, the Winnipeg Jets. At number seven, moving up three selections from number ten to number seven, the Detroit Red Wings. At number six, staying at number six, the Philadelphia Flyers. Here's the big controversy. At number five, falling four spots, the Quebec Nordiques. At number four, dropping two selections, the San Jose Sharks. At number three, moving up one selection, the New York Islanders. And. With the first pick in the 1991 NHL re-entry draft, moving up two selections, the New Jersey Devils. Which means the Vancouver Canucks move up five selections. And with that being said, Tim, with the first pick in the 1991 NHL redraft, the New Jersey Devils select Eric Lindros. Now this is a great pickup for the, for the Devils because... The Devils get a franchise center in Eric, who was decorated in juniors being an all star, CHL player of the year, Memorial Cup all star in 91, and he would immediately crack the lineup in 91 92 season, probably winning rookie of the year over Pavel Bury. And going to New Jersey, he would have a decent core around him because you would have the vets like Peter Stasny and Claude Lemieux, excuse me, and then you have younger guys like Martin Brodeur would come up and say Brendan Shanahan decides to leave in free agency they would have brought scott stevens over so you want to build a pretty decent team around eric in that first
0: <clears game. throat> it is hard though because if they bring in eric Lindros, they don't bring in scott Niedermeyer. so they don't have that franchise defenseman to go with and really create that stifling style of play that new jersey was known for so this could
1: change quite a bit of hockey history right here it could absolutely no With the Devils selecting Eric Lindros first overall, there is a few negatives. And I think the big one is, of course, due to his play style, he doesn't really stay healthy throughout his career. He only played a full 82-game season once in his career. And here's the big thing, and this is the thing that when we were talking about doing the redraft, and I heard the Devils were going to get this pick, my first thought was because, as you remember, in the 99-2000 season, no, sorry, 2000-2001, Eric sat out. He sat out for a full year, and he refused to play. Could you imagine if he had done that with the Devils? Lou Lamorello, who has been known to deal players who sat out, like Pat Verbeek and Bill Guerin. Can you imagine if Eric Lindros sat out?
0: He would have been gone the first day. Lou Lamorello wouldn't put up with that sort of shit.
1: No, absolutely not. So with Eric going to New Jersey, Tim, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, this would have been a great pickup for the Devils in 1991. I think it's a
0: really, like undeniable, really good pickup. I do wonder what doubles. I think doubles hockey would be it would be quite different because so the, the defense core is quite, well, frankly, very different compared to what it would be with Niedermeyer in the wings.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, going sorry, going back to what we're talking about, Brendan Shanahan, because when he originally signed with the Blues, the offer the Blues gave the Devils would have included Curtis Joseph and Rod Brendamore. Like, can you imagine if Cujo and Brendamore would have come to the Devils instead of Scott Stevens?
0: Yeah. yeah. they're very sibling team.
1: Absolutely. But the problem is, if they had brought in Curtis Joseph, then the NHL would have never been gifted with Martin Brodeur. He would have never... I don't even know if he really would have developed into what a lot of people call is the greatest goaltender of all time. Yeah. That's an interesting thought point there, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I don't. I think they don't have to trade him. If they weren't forced to trade Lindros, then I think Broder comes up like he does. So, just another redraft note, though. I did go through the the other rounds in the '91 draft, and really, based on the Devils' draft, the real player noted is for the Devils. I would have passed on a player named Brad Wilner in exchange for defenseman Alexney Zhidnik at pick number 77. Yeah, that's a tough one, just because with uh, Wilner, def-
0: it's a defenseman from college hockey versus someone coming over from Russia. And I think that's a miss you're going to make quite often in that era. Especially with Zetnik playing in Kiev. So like that's definitely a hindsight. Like I think uh, teams weren't really scouting Russia that well yet. Mm-hmm. So I don't really fault them.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny because, and you're talking about this, at the time, one of the big things was that the New York Rangers did take Alexei Kovalev at number 15. And he was a big time Russian player.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing is, like, New Yorkers, I think that they had more money at the time. And what's actually kind of surprising is that he was able to uh, produce
1: decently in a men's league with Moscow Dynamo. Yeah, in the same way that you look at nowadays how a player like Austin Matthews developed playing over in Switzerland.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of all we got here, though.
1: Pretty much. I think we should go on to the second pick because this would have been a really good one. Now, with the second pick, in the ni- technically in the 1991 NHL injury draft, the Vancouver Canucks would have taken... Pat Falloon. However, for me, in the 1991 NHL redraft, the Vancouver Canucks take Scott Niedemeyer at second overall. Now, this is a great pickup for the Canucks because he is a top prospect who was born and raised in BC, so you can market him to the hometown fans. He's a franchise-anchoring first pair defenseman to really build around. He was offensively gifted, who whose play compared, was often compared to someone like Paul Coffey, I feel that the Canucks would have taken him over Falloon as the Canucks already had Cliff Ronning, Igor Larionov, and a young Peter Nedved at center. So you don't really have that need. And the only criticism of him in his career is that his defensive play wasn't there. And that's what a lot of criticism, much like a player like a Eric Carlson or a Tyson Berry or some of the offensively gifted defensemen today, this was the same thing with him in 1991.
0: Mm -hmm. Although I wonder how much of that is just a comparison Of the fact that he spent so much of his career Playing next to defensive stalwart Scott Stevens Because when you're moving the puck up the ice It looks a lot different than a guy who's just sitting there crushing people
1: Yeah, and that was the big thing with Niedermeyer in New Jersey Was that he was often criticized for His sort of hit and miss play in the early years of the Devils Because he walked into a system that was Not suited for him at all Like the Devils were a very trap Defensive minded team And he was a A puck moving defenseman So he was often stifled by the Devils system at the time
0: Yeah And that's actually kind of An interesting question is Do you think Lindros would fit into that trap system?
1: That's a great point And the thing is Is that you look at the players the Devils have up front You know when you had a Bill Guerin A Brian Rolston and later on, Patrick Giliash, who were putting up really good numbers, and they were playing under that trap style. So really, I often wonder if, and that's a good point, I often wonder if Eric would have fit in with the Devils, but I, but do you think maybe they would have changed up the style a bit, knowing they had this big piece up front?
0: I think so, but at the same time, Lou's known for doing what Lou wants, what Lou thinks is right, so it's hard to say. Very much so. Like that's, and I think that's one of the big things, is we don't really have the counterfactual to play with, right?
1: Yeah, that's true. So, again, looking at the other uh, the other rounds in the draft, uh, really the only note I really have here for the Canucks is that if I was the GM, I would have traded up in the third round from 51st to 47th and selected centerman Yannick Perreault.
0: Yeah, but I wonder if Toronto would have done that. That's but a, Possibly.
1: I think that-, that, that is a good point, but... I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure what they would have done in that scenario if you know, if they didn't have him in the system. Yeah. Well, I think one of the interesting things uh, really to note about... Uh, like, I completely agree that the Canucks would 100% take Niedermeyer because he's the Cran- a Cranbrook story, and they love that sort of local stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they were already pretty set at center. Yeah, and actually, one little thing about Scott Niedermeyer that... A lot of people don't seem to talk about nowadays, even though technically he was born in Edmonton. He did spend the first three years of his life in a place called Cassiar, which is a ghost town today. Really? Yeah. I'm just looking up on Wikipedia. Cassiar is a ghost town in British Columbia, Canada. It was a small company-owned asbestos mining town located in the Cassiar Mountains of northern British Columbia, north of Disease Lake.
0: Huh. I wonder why the real estate just never really took. I don't know. Disease lake. Riveting stuff, Ted.
1: Very much so. Let's move on to the third pick. In the 1991 NHL draft, the New York Islanders technically would have selected Scott Niedemeyer. However, I believe with the third pick in the 1991 NHL re the New York Islanders select Scott Lachance Now Scott Lachance At the time Was a blue chip prospect Out of Boston University He put up Really good numbers He recorded 24 points In 31 games He was a much needed Pick up on defense And again Like the Canucks The Islanders Could have taken Falloon At number 3 But Judging from What they had up front They really didn't Have a need for it The only criticism For myself Is that He didn't live up To his draft status As he mostly Became a journeyman In the NHL
0: Mm. Although he did he did play ten years in New York. So you gotta give him that. But he didn't really do like his
1: best season was his first full season. And yeah, maybe maybe they actually did end up sleeping on Falloon. Maybe and, well, the, and you know what's funny, and I was looking at Scott Lachance is that this pickup would have looked even worse four years later in nineteen ninety five when they end up getting Brian Burrard.
0: Well, I mean that pickup looks pretty bad because that's what they actually
1: did, isn't it? Yes, they did because, <laughs> as you remember, the Ottawa Senators had the first pick. They drafted Berard. Berard didn't want to play for the Senators. They traded him to the Islanders and got Wade Redden out of it.
0: Damn! What is it with the the Senators fleecing Mike Milbury? Uh, Milbury wasn't with the Islanders oh, at this time, wasn't there? Though. Okay, what's so the Senators just did? They just go to the Islanders for a fleecing or?
1: Pretty much, and then years later, the San Jose Sharks end up doing the same thing to us.
0: I wish we could have a good GM, or at least a GM who had money to spend.
1: I know. It would be nice, eh? So, for myself, the really again, the only redraft notes I have looking at the other rounds is that, for me, I would have passed on Milan Hilinka and selected Igor Kravchuk at pick number 70. Because that would have been a decent enough pickup for the third pairing.
0: Yeah, and those ones are so close; it's
1: you have to think that was on their mind. Yeah, and then further down is Mike Knubel.
0: at uh, right wing.
1: That's true. Actually, it's funny. I have Mike Knubel in uh, I can't remember where I have it here in the list, but I do have it in my redraft notes, though. Nice. Yep.
0: Well, he had a distinguished enough career. He did. Not surprised.
1: And he also scored the winner to knock off the Devils in the 1998 playoffs, giving us our first playoff series win. Powerful. I know. Well, as Dean Brown once said, he drove the nail through the Devils' hearts. Damn, that's savage. For sure. Let's go on to the fourth pick. The San Jose Sharks would have taken Scott Lachance in the 1991 NHL draft. However, this is where a lot of people know this exactly happened in 1991 with the fourth pick the san jose sharks take Pat balloon in the redraft now of course hindsight would say this is a terrible pickup for the sharks given that he had 15 even though he had 59 points in his first year which was his best season and he was known as fat balloon for his lack of conditioning at the time he was the top ranked forward not named eric lindross the Sharks coveted him, given he was the top offensive player in the WHL. Now, get a of these numbers. He recorded 138 points in 61 games for the Spokane Chiefs in his first full season. Yeah, and he had two over 100-point seasons with Spokane, and that wasn't even his draft year plus one. Yeah, pretty much. And as I said, I mean, he was once considered a building block for the Sharks, only to become known as, as I said, Fat Balloon for his lack of conditioning later in his career. The Sharks in this draft actually come out pretty good, because they ended up with Sandus Oshilish, and they ended up with Ray Whitney. Yeah, so it's like, you can't fault them for going with someone who looked promising. Like, I I don't blame them for Fat Balloon. No, for sure. And... The really the only redraft note I have is that I would have traded down in the third round to get Chris Osgood to play behind Arthur Zerbe. That would have been good. And looking at the third round for the Sharks, if you were willing to trade down to select a goalie, you had one of two options: you had Chris Osgood or Jamie McClennan.
0: What? <laughs>
1: Now, yeah, now like in fairness, good, Jamie had better ass- numbers than Chris did in juniors, but still, you look at those, and it's funny, like, we've talked about this on the show, you look at those numbers from, like, the, l- the late 80s, early 90s, these guys had, like, a .89 save percentage, one you of Vezna, and, like, uh, goals against average under four was considered elite. Yeah, it's, but at the same time, there were so few goals scored in that area, I just, I'm guessing the only thing I can really think of is just shots were very well suppressed. It's weird. For sure. Should we we head on to the fifth pick, Tim?
0: What, you don't want to talk about Fat Balloon anymore? Uh,
1: There really isn't anything to say here. I mean, I guess the the only other note I can make, and given that our last draft, we talked about the 93 draft, that Alexander Degg, when Alexander Degg got traded to the Philadelphia Flyers in February of 98, Pat Falloon came the other way.
0: Was he more productive than our boy Alexander Degg was?
1: Uh, Well, Pat Falloon played a couple more seasons in the NHL. He later moved on to uh, the Oilers, and then he went over to Europe, and he became basically a superstar over there. Huh. Good for him. Yeah. Okay, moving on to the fifth pick. In the 1991 draft, the Quebec Nordiques technically would have selected Aaron Ward. However, for me, in the 1991 NHL redraft, the Quebec Nordiques select Richard Mavichuk. Now, despite losing the Eric Lindros sweepstakes with the best odds, and San Jose taking Pat Floon at number four, Mavichuk could have been seen as a big-time defenseman for the Nordiques. He was a big body who could play physical and score, recording 54... Points in 58 games for the Saskatoon Blades with 126 penalty minutes. He could be seen as a first pairing defenseman for the Quebec Nordiques. The only criticism, looking back in hindsight, is that his offensive skills did not translate into the NHL as he was more of a shutdown player with the Dallas Stars. I'm surprised you've had them dropping so far because you have them going over both Peter Forsberg and Alex Stoganov. That's true, but you know what? And I think because the Nordiques up front don't really need them because they already had Owen Nolan, they already had Matt Sundin, they already had Joe Sackick. So they already had players like that up front, and it was on the back end is where they really needed the help. That makes sense. And Peter Forsberg's SEL numbers weren't fantastic. Like, I guess they're pretty good, but most people weren't. Like, for a young kid, for like a young guy, 17 points in 23 games, and the SEL is actually pretty darn good. Hmm. So looking at the other rounds, the the one note I have is that as and we were talking about this uh, just a few moments ago with Chris, Osgood, is good. Is that for the Nordiques? I would have passed on Rich Brennan and selected Jamie McLennan in the third round.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can say that because Rich Brennan didn't do. Yeah, you got you got 50 games out of them. Not much.
1: No, not at all, Tim. Not at all. But you know what's funny? And you know what's funny? We are talking about Eric Lindros at the start of this episode. Can you imagine how the Quebec Nordiques would have turned out if they didn't have Eric Lindros to trade and get Ron Hextall, Chris Simon, and Peter Forsberg?
0: But then again, they would also have Eric Lindros.
1: That's true, but... Because in this redraft, they don't have Eric, but they still have Sundeen, Owen Nolan, Sakik. You would have brought in Richard Maverchuk. They would have been a different team, but I don't know if that would have been a good enough team to get over the hump. Probably not. Because one of the big things is that elite one-two punch in Sackic Forsberg. Yeah, but you know what, though? In fairness... The Quebec Nordiques could have had that first line of Sackick, Sandine and Owen Nolan.
0: That's really true.
1: Yeah. So moving on to the sixth pick, the Philadelphia Flyers would have selected Peter Forsberg. And for my money, and I know the National Podcast Network and their podcast, big on the Flyers, they're going to love this because at number six in the 1991 NHL redraft, the Philadelphia Flyers select... Peter Forsberg. So Peter Forsberg, and this is, of course, hindsight would dictate this was a great pickup for the Flyers. But in 1991, the Flyers seemed like they were really reaching to get him because if you look back at those draft analysis and you look back at the scouting reports on Peter Forsberg, he was not seen as a top 10 pick. He was seen as a guy in the mid to late first round at best.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's, it seems like it's coming down to a well, – I want – I actually – I would have loved to see what those scouts are seeing. Like, were they narking on foot, stops, foot, foot speed? Was not big enough? Were they just not appreciating this? I want to see what the scouting reports actually were.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know what? I think if you go back and you read – I think it was the Hockey News. There was a hockey, – the Hockey News in 1991 – That's what they predicted Eric or not Eric Peter Forsberg. They predicted he would be a mid to late round pickup. Now imagine that for a second. What if, say, Peter Forsberg drops in that mid rounds? He could have been selected by the Rangers, he could have been selected by the Penguins, he could have been selected by a number of teams that were really gifted already, and you often wonder what if he came into that system and they're not giving him the time? What if you see a third line centerman? Does he develop into the superstar Hall of Famer that we know of him today?
0: Well, he has The talent, I imagine he might have been able to push his way Up, especially if he ended up on a team like Well, even like Calgary or Edmonton
1: That is true, because by By the time he came over to the NHL The Oilers were basically out of The playoffs, the Calgary Flames Had just fallen apart, so yeah, I could See them, I could have seen that Could have been a pretty good Pickup of those teams, but The Flyers Like I said The Flyers It was seen that the Flyers Were reaching And I feel it was an Absolute steal Getting him the sixth Because for the Philadelphia Flyers This would have given them A franchise centerman That they wanted And they can build around There is a few Knocks on him though Number one He does take a few years To finally come over Because he got drafted In 91 He didn't come over Until 1995 And But the thing is Is that Philadelphia Could use That time To get some more Building blocks in that time, so they could have gone out and got Michael Renberg. They could have got, got John Leclerc, They could have got Eric Desjardins, and they could have brought Ron Hextall back. And they could have built a decent team for Peter Forsberg to walk into. Mm. And they did quite a lot of those things, right? Other than trading away Ron Hextall to get our boy uh, Eric Lindros. Yeah, and then of course years later. Rod Brendamore comes into the situation, so you have a really good counterpart with him there because he could really shut down and be the penalty-killing centerman, and you could put Peter on the power play. As, of course, with Peter Forsberg, the one big thing about him is that, you know, and we talk about his talent, we talk about the superstar he was. Another thing, and unfortunate like a lot of players, is the injuries he suffered because his body began to break down after six seasons in the NHL But he still was the superstar player That we know of him today
0: mm-hmm. And it was impressive that He was still able to put up numbers Even after all of those injuries
1: Yeah, and, and of course There was, I believe it was in the O two O three 2003 season, he won the Hart Trophy This was a year This was coming off a year where he barely played at all Yeah, like in 2001-2002 He played no games
0: in the regular season And 20 playoff games Like what the hell is
1: that I know Now talking about the redraft notes I looked at the other rounds um, If I was the Flyers GM I could either trade down to 59th overall Or select Michael Nylander In the third round For myself in the fifth round I would have passed on a player named Yannick Grace For Marcus Tchaikovsky In the fifth round Or sorry, Marius
0: Tchaikovsky I think at that point, though, it's – at the fifth round,
1: it's kind of such a crapshoot that I don't think you could do that without hindsight. Yeah, and that's what we're doing here, right, for the redraft, is that yeah. we have the hindsight and we have all the information we have today to look back on it and say, I would have done this, I would have done that. And actually, one thing about Marius Tchaikovsky, oh, do you want to mention, do you remember the James Bond movie, Goldeneye? Uh, I
0: remember the video game.
1: So, the movie itself, the actress who played Natalia in the movie, that was his ex-wife.
0: Oh, wow. That's actually pretty fun.
1: Yeah, so when I saw that, I'm like, yep, that's why I gotta include it, Tim.
0: Mm -hmm. Although, I think Tchaikovsky was actually the last big game forward in this draft.
1: Pretty much, man. Pretty much. I mean... Uh, unless you get into like the mid rounds, or sorry, the mid first round, and we'll talk about that near the end of the episode. But
0: yeah. Well, like sixth round, right? Uh, fifth round. Sorry, fifth round, yeah. Because sixth round, you have uh, Sean O'Donnell plays a thousand games, plays a defenseman, same with uh, Dmitry Yushkovich. And then after that, it's 500, 400 max.
1: Yep, yeah, pretty much. And right. it's all defensemen.
0: So Tim, like I said, Brian Savage in the eighth round. Who got drafted in the eighth round? Uh, Brian Savage.
1: Oh my God, I totally forgot about Brian Savage. I remember him.
0: Yeah, played seven hundred games. Solid.
1: Yeah. With the seventh pick, the Detroit Red Wings would have taken Alex Stoinoff in the nineteen ninety one NHL Draft. However, in the nineteen ninety one NHL Redraft, the Detroit Red Wings select. Aaron Ward. Now, Aaron Ward, at the time of the draft, was one of the top defensemen in the draft who was also a right-hander shot. As we were talking about Richard Maverchuk, he was a big guy who can hit. Um, the only thing is that he, even though he did win two cups in Detroit, he was not seen as the big offensive defenseman in the draft.
0: No. And when you have someone like Scott Peter Meyer in the draft, you're not going to be.
1: No, and but you know what Aaron Ward isn't going to a bad team in Detroit because two drafts previous they picked up Nick Lindstrom. So Nicholas could come in and you know, they bring in Vladimir Constantino off. they bring in some really good defensemen. The and I was talking about the redraft notes, and this could have actually helped Detroit. And I, if I was the draft if I sorry, if I was the GM, I would trade up in the second to get Sandis Osilich from the San Jose Sharks.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, I don't really have much to say about that. Well, I guess if we're looking at Sandus Oselich, uh sorry, uh, I don't even know what I was going to say there. So, <laughs> Yeah, he's probably the best defenseman in the second round.
1: Yeah, pretty much, man.
0: Although Jason Cullamore is another option that went to Vancouver.
1: That's true. That is true. But also, he's more of a shutdown guy. Yeah, but how many games did he actually play in the NHL, though?
0: 812
1: I did not know that Sorry I, I was thinking of the guy in the old uh, 2003 draft Jesse uh, Coleymore who went to the New York Rangers He turned out to be a total bust
0: I'm, I'm amazed that you can remember These guys
1: Well you know Tim I had a lot of free time in my hands back in the day to research These players which really came to help <laughs> With doing these episodes today Yeah no kidding like, sometimes I like, I'll go through, I'll read some of the reports, but then it's just kind of a sip because it's the first time I've been looking at some of this stuff. Yeah, and, and of course, back in the day, you know, you don't have, like nowadays where you have the scouting reports and you can, and, you know, everybody's doing a draft analysis and you can totally see, like, okay, I don't know if I would draft this guy here or draft this guy there. They didn't have that back in the day.
0: No, well, they didn't have commercial internet.
1: No, and I mean, I guess the only way they would have done it if, say, like, the Hockey News or the NHL would have done, like, a yearly magazine where they, they would have uh, had the scouting stuff in there. But other than that, yeah, there's really no information on it.
0: Yeah, and the Hockey News, I don't think it was ever – I don't think the Hockey News has ever been clear. Like, I just read some of those arguments, some of those articles, and they just seem kind of ass-headed. Like really old school locker room type stuff.
1: Well, you know it could be worse, Tim. I mean, the hockey news could be like the pitchfork of of the NHL. Oh, geez. You know Just what? I double that. You know what? I am still mouth. mad that Pitchfork gave Tools Lateralis a bad re- review.
0: It's not hipster music, Tay. You gotta understand.
1: I know. I know. Anyway, let's get back to the draft. Now, we actually have a trade to announce because the Hartford Whalers and Winnipeg Jets actually swap the 8th and ninth selection. Now, this is for me. This is, I would feel, if I was doing the draft, I feel this could have been something that would have happened, which means with the 8th pick, the Hartford Whalers technically would have taken Richard Mathichuk. However, with the 8th pick in the 1991 NHL redraft, the Hartford Whalers select... Alex Stoinoff. Now, Alex Stoinoff at the time, people were actually pretty high on him because he was a big guy at 6'4", 220, who can drop the gloves, had soft hands, was often compared to Bob Probert. Stoinoff would have been perfectly suited to play in the then-Adams division because you would have had the Boston Bruins, the New York Rangers, these teams that had big, tough guys. You know, you had the Chris Nylons and the Players like that. Players who were willing to drop the gloves and go every night. And he could have been a good pickup for the Whalers. However, he never became a full-time NHLer. And he also became most known for being traded for Marcus Naslin in 1996.
0: They managed to recover Naslin from that. Holy shit. Yeah, cause like the only thing he really had to his name was that... 1995-1996 season, uh, he got 130 penalty minutes. Did he give up Naslin for that? Wow.
1: Yeah, but the thing is, when you look back at Marcus Naslin's time with the Penguins, you can tell a guy who and another a guy he reminds me a lot of is Colin, not Colin. Wait, is Nick Paul? Nick Paul for the Senators is a guy that you watch him. People were very high on him He was highly touted You'll watch this guy And you're like I don't exactly know What I'm looking at And People are like Oh we should give him a chance And He just didn't really Rise to the occasion Anytime he played with Pittsburgh But again With the Penguins He was playing behind Mario and Jarmer Yager
0: Mm -hmm. While uh, Our boy Nick Paul Gets uh, Tom Pyatt But the other thing though Was like In the 1995-1996 season, Marcus Maslin was starting to put it together. Like, in his 66 games with uh, the Penguins, he had 52 points.
1: Yeah, but at that point, he had already requested a trade out of Pittsburgh because he was frustrated, and in years later, he would talk about how he almost just left the NHL if he had stayed with the Penguins. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. So the redraft notes I I have on the 8th pick is I would have traded down to select Joseph Stumple in the 2nd round and I would have passed on Jim Storm who I'm just going to say right now behind Brian Savage this guy has the best name in the draft Jim Storm
0: Too bad he didn't play very many games
1: I know, I would have passed on Jim Storm and got Mike Knubel in the 4th round
0: What's funny is that's just It's probably the difference between someone looking at a left wing and a right wing. That's
1: it. Yeah, pretty much.
0: And Detroit Detroit profits here.
1: Yes, they do. Let's move on to the ninth pick. The Winnipeg Jets via the Hartford Whalers technically would have selected Patrick Poulian with the ninth pick. However, I feel that the Winnipeg Jets in the 1991 NHL redraft would have selected Philip Boucher. Now, Philip Boucher was an offensive-minded defenseman who put up 67 points in 69 games in his rookie season in the queue. He was a big body who could skate. The only knock on him is that he was a solid player but never became a star. But I think the big thing is, in the 2007 season, and I believe he was the age 34, he made his first All-Star game with the Dallas Stars. Never say never. Yeah, and Philip Boucher, I think the the Winnipeg Jets reached to get him because technically he was drafted 12th in this draft. And knowing that the Winnipeg Jets had talent up front, they were like, okay, we need an offensively, offensive-minded defenseman. That's why they go for Boucher. And they pass on the player who, who would be taken at number 10.
0: Patrick Poulin or Martin Lapointe.
1: Martin Lapointe. Now, of course, the redraft note I have on this is that I would have passed on Dmitry Filimonov for Chris Osgood in the third round, unless I, I you know, I, I'm going to look back here. I can't remember who who I would have taken here.
0: Maybe you heard it? Uh,
1: was that? Yeah, it was the Sharks. Yeah, if the Sharks had not taken Chris Osgood in the in the third round, I could see maybe Winnipeg trading down. Or trading to get him, but the only thing is that Chris Osgood would have technically really been a backup because they had uh, Bob Essena already in net.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes sense.
1: Yeah. See, so do you have any notes on this pick, Tim?
0: At nine. Sorry, this is still ninth. Uh, I don't know. I can see them. I don't know enough about the Jets this time to say that they do anything different than take Patrick Poulin at ninth. <laughs> Because uh, Poulin,
1: he had a success, a very successful Q career with the Saint High, Saint High City Lasers, and he would slot in nicely with what Winnipeg was doing that at that time. Yeah, and even when I was looking at it, like as you were saying, Poulin had a very successful career in the Q. But the only reason why I'm thinking they would have passed on him to get Philip Boucher is because they needed a offensive defenseman at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's probably what they would do.
1: So, Tim, with the 10th pick, the Minnesota Wild technically would have selected Matan Lapointe. However, in the 1991 NHL redraft, the Minnesota North Stars select Brian Ralston. Now, Brian Ralston is a very unique player in this draft because he's a guy who's considered a utility player. He could be used as a center, a left wing, a right wing. He's a strong 2A player who can score. He could have given Mike Medano a co-star on the wing. Only knock on him, he does take a couple of years to fully develop.
0: Well, the other thing with Brian Rolston is, I think he's, a, even at 11, he seems like a bit of a gamble. Like, he plays with an NHL team, Compuware and then two seasons at Lake Superior in Canada. Sorry, Lake Superior in one of the lower college leagues. It's not a great body of work. And as you're saying, it takes a while for him to get into the NHL and then really start to show that he has uh, that offensive ability on top of his other sets of skills. Mm -hmm. So, like, I can definitely see that team. I can see why he came to 11. He could even argue that from what other players around him had, maybe eleventh was a bit high. Especially when you have guys putting up like like the next guy below him, Tyler Wright, puts up he has multiple eighty game plus C eighty point plus seasons in the WHL, which is known for being hard to score. So it's it's interesting. Like Brian Brian Rollsman's a really interesting pick. I definitely think he's a better pick than Martin the point
1: Yeah, and the thing is, Martin Martin LaPointe and Brian Rolston are multi-Stanley Cup winners because Martin LaPointe played on the 97, 98 Red Wings, and of course Rolston played on the 95 Devils, and I want to say 2,000 Devils as well. I I might have to look into that, but as far as I know, he did play on the 95 team for sure, and I think he played on the... 2010. Let me just have a quick look here.
0: No, he was in Boston.
1: Oh, right, right. Okay, yeah, he was with the Avs, and then he got traded to uh, the Bruins for Ray Bork. That's right. Yeah.
0: He has a lot of one and outs in the playoffs, but I think that's just the teams he was playing with. Mm-hmm. Well, La point he played 20 games and potted 12. He actually... He was quite good On those Detroit teams As like When the playoffs Rolled around
1: Yeah He was mostly used As say a third A third line Player Because you would have The grind line On the fourth With McCarty Maltby And Draper So that would have been The fourth line So he would have been On the third line
0: Yeah And he put together Decent seasons Including a 57 point campaign In 2001 Mm -hmm.
1: But he was always Good Never great So, Tim, I guess the only thing we should really look at, because I don't have any redraft notes for this pick, is that, and actually we should have done this at the beginning of the episode, and I totally slipped my mind. We should look at the players taken after the 10th overall selection. And we're going to start off with going 15th to the New York Rangers, Alexei Kovalev. Now, this this was a pick that, hindsight, really good for the Rangers because Kovalev was a really good player for them. And I, But the thing is, because he, he also played for the center, so we know him kind of well. The one knock on him, and I think Matthew Barnaby put it best, he was the most, what did he say, the most underachieving thousand points guy in the National Hockey League. Yeah, he was always known for being mercurial. Like, he showed up when he wanted to, and that was about it. Yeah, and that was the thing, and And I know Barnaby even said he was the most talented player he's ever played with. Like, this is a guy in practice played five on one, and he beat them all. Yeah, and it's bizarre because you've got, like,
0: you have, like, 100-point seasons wrapped around 50-point seasons. It's weird.
1: For sure, and another guy that you can also look at... Is Alexander McGilney McGilney was the same way Where you had years where he was putting up 120, 130 points And then you had others where he's putting up 50, 55 Yeah and it's just Like
0: I don't even know how you can have that talent And then just not want to turn it on
1: I don't know man Going 16th overall to the Pittsburgh Penguins And we talked about him earlier Marcus Naslin Now of course Marcus Naslin, as we've we've already talked about Naslin, the big thing when he first came to Vancouver, he did not have confidence to him. He was a guy that he was you watched him, he was like, he's good, but, and that was always the knock on Naslin until 2000, 2001 when he really came into his own. He became the captain. The West Coast Express line was formed with Topper and Brendan Morrison, the guy was a fantastic player. He put up 100 points for the Canucks. Almost scored 50 goals, and he almost won the Hart Trophy in the 0203 season, where he got beat out by his former teammate and good friend, Peter Forsberg. Yeah, I think the other thing with uh, those Canucks teams,
0: it's hard because it's they were good teams, but. With Naslin on the team They never really made it All that far
1: No They were good But not great And the big thing was Was that you look at Those teams And they had Of course the West Coast Express line With Bertuzzi Morrison And Naslin (coughs) Second line Was Daniel Henrik With Trevor Linden And then the third line Was like I don't know, Matt Cook and whoever the hell they put around him for the. Sopel. Brent Sopel was a defenseman. Yeah, and you had Ed Jovanovski and Matthias Oland. Really good defenseman. The only real knock was that their goaltender was Dan Klutsche. And Dan Klutsche is one of the most hated goaltenders in all of the Vancouver Canucks history.
0: He just. He, I don't know why they stuck with him, to be honest.
1: I don't know, because you know it's funny? You look at Dan Cloutier's numbers in Vancouver, he put up good numbers, but it was in the playoffs is where he choked. And everybody remembers in the 0-2 playoffs, game three, the Canucks had a 2 nothing lead. Everybody's thinking, holy crap, like the Canucks could really sweep the Red Wings. And in one instance, the balloon burst. And that was when Nick Lidstrom. he picked up the puck in the Red Wings zone, skated over the blue line, and took a slap shot at him, and he scored. And that's what popped the balloon and that's what Detroit came back and won it in six games.
0: Which is insanity. Like, they got reverse swept.
1: Very much so. But
0: then again, it's like 2001, 2002, he was always dancing around that 900. And then after after the all, sorry, after the lockout year,
1: we have an 892, an 860, and then an 887. The last two was L.A., yeah, but you got to realize that's a really bad L.A. team. That is not the L.A. teams of 2010, 2011,
0: 2012, oh, when they won the when they won the That's
1: cup. the love crew L.A. team. Yep, very much so. Going 18th in a row to the Boston Bruins, Glenn Murray. Now, Glenn Murray actually didn't have a bad NHL career. And one of my favorite goals, and it's funny, we're talking about Alex Kovlev, the 2004 playoffs. I can't remember who it was I think it was Travis Green He tapped Kovalev On the hands And Kovalev like shake his hand Like he'd broken it He cl- and Then collided with Surrey Which gave Glenn Murray The breakaway To score it For the OT winner
0: Amazing Kovalev acting Gets Glenn Murray A series winning goal
1: It wasn't a series winner It was um Sorry. Just a game winner Cause I think Montreal okay. ended up winning the series Okay
0: That's still something. That's really something. But that's also like Pete Kovalev.
1: That is Well, I don't know, man. Pete Kovalev would have been in the 95 playoffs where I can't remember who the Nordiques defenseman was. He sort of tapped him on the back with a stick and he just dropped like a sack of potatoes.
0: (laughs) Did he get the call?
1: He did get the call and Kovalev ended up scoring the game winner.
0: So is Kovalev the reason why Don Cherry thinks Europeans are soft?
1: No, I think Don Cherry always had that sort of thing about European players. Because, you know, like they would come over here and they were known for their finesse game, not the physical game.
0: Mm. So it's not just Kovalev being a flopper.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm just looking at Glenn Murray's numbers here. He put up a couple of 60-point seasons for the LA Kings. And actually, he got traded from the Bruins to the Penguins in the 95 96 season, where we recorded 29 points in 69 games. He then got traded to LA, where he fully developed, before returning to Boston, where he put up his best numbers in the 02 03 season with 92 points in 82 games.
0: That's a hell of a season.
1: It's not too bad, not too bad. And with the 22nd pick going to the Chicago Blackhawks, Dean McCammon.
0: We've talked a lot about Dean McCammon over the years.
1: We have, and you know, and of course, I hate to say it, but my two main images of Dean McCammon was him getting murdered on the ice. Yeah,
0: I'm. It's like I'm shocked, but not shocked that Pronger ever only ever got only ever got one game. But at the same time, I'm shocked that he got any discipline at all.
1: Well, you know what? The fact he did the exact same thing to Thomas Holmstrom in the conference finals against the Red Wings. That should have said something. He only got one game, and he just decapitated him on the ice.
0: Yeah, and like, that's one of those things is, I'm always shocked that the Ducks beat the Red Wings in that series. Because the Red Wings were in the driver's seat, and then Hatchett kind of
1: fucked that one up. But, it was, I'm always surprised that Anaheim team made it as far as they did it. Yeah, but when you look back at that team, that's a really good team on the ice. That wasn't just some scrub team they threw together. When you really look at that roster and you see that Scott Niedemeyer was on that team, Chris Pronger was on that team, Timo Solani was on that team, like, legit superstar Hall of Famers were on that team.
0: Yeah, like, legit, it was a good team, but so was that Detroit team. Because that's pretty much the same Detroit team that went and won the Cup next year. And then went to the finals The year after
1: that Yeah Like I said I mean my two main images Was of course The Pronger hand against McCammon In the 0-7 finals But also in the preseason When he came around Behind the net And Steve Downey Like Superman Dived at him And cross-checked him in the face I forgot about that play I also forgot about Steve Downey But
0: yeah Like Dean McCammon Was on the end Of some brutal
1: Oh, very much so. Like he really solidified Ottawa's bottom six in the Gloriers
0: Mm hmm. And it's a shame that he never really played a full season after 07-08 Yeah,
1: it's a shame sh-
0: Also I didn't realize Steve Downey was already out of the league.
1: Yeah, I think he's been out of the league a couple of years now.
0: Yeah. Twenty sixteen was his last season in Arizona.
1: Crazy. So Tim, I don't hey, have won't. Won't. so Tim, I don't have any more notes, man. Unless you he want won't. to head into the close. Uh,
0: are there any former senators that came up in this draft that we haven't mentioned?
1: Not that I can tell. I mean, the only ones I said, like Dean McCammon, I said uh, Igor Kravchuk, we've already talked about. So not Kanugel. wasn't an ex senator, though.
0: He wasn't. No, he just killed the other team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't really a lot of senators here.
1: Yeah, that was yeah. it. Wasn't until '92, buddy.
0: Yeah. All right. I guess that's it
1: then. All right. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because believe me, Tim and I loved recording them for you. You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We're on SoundCloud, SoundCloud.com/slash Third Line Plug Sensecast. And because our bod Dave made the mention, we're on Google Play Music. You can find us on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger, and I'm at Great White Gibster G R 8, W Y T E Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about our 1991 NHL redraft episode, shoot us an email. Third Line Plug Sensecast at gmail.com. So, Tim, I guess our next episode, we are going to be looking at the R. 2020 Hockey Hall of Fame wish list
0: no snub for Alfie.
1: that's true and you know what the 2020 draft is going to have a lot of firsts you know you have the first for Jerome McGinley you have the first for Marion Hosa, you have the first for a few players but yes hopefully 2020 is not a snub year again for Alfredson. yeah you know what I didn't fucking like E. Carpino anyway
0: I don't understand that pick.
1: No, that that doesn't make sense to me at all.
0: I blame boomers.
1: Yep. Until next time, guys, I am your host Taylor Gibson.
0: And this has been Tim Jetsy.
1: Go sends, guys. My time, it is up. They're going home.